Hello and good morning. You're listening to the West Meeting Room on CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. We are recording today's episode of the West Meeting Room in Heart House, where we are taking up space on Dish with One Spoon territory. My name is Brayden, and I'm grateful to be behind the mic today. In the studio are a few producers of our show, Sabrina and Ari. Thank you for joining me today. Do you want to say hello? Hi. Hello. <laughs> so today is the winter solstice, and we are wrapping up our last couple broadcasts of 2019. It's the shortest day of the year, and some of us are taking a holiday. Some of us have been fighting off the winter sickness, as I'm sure you can hear in some of our voices. Uh, and now is a time when I feel like we're all nudged or maybe completely inundated with prompts to reflect and look back on the past year. Um, it only just dawned on me that this year is kind of special because we're closing out an entire decade. Um, I've been hearing a lot of reflections about the past 10 years and I know for a lot of people, looking back can be uncomfortable and painful. So I think what I would rather do is cast our gaze forward and focus in on our intentions for the future. And that's kind of a big part of what we wanted to focus on for today's episode. Uh, during our production meeting last week, aside from moving through the long list of day-to-day -day items that we need to accomplish to make sure we bring you a show to broadcast each week, it's also a space for us to spend some time together. It's become this safe space to share with one another and support one another. And we talk about our fears and love and loss, and we laugh a lot together. And a big theme of our show has been rituals of self-care because I think we're all struggling on this journey towards cultivating love for ourselves. So as we've been having these conversations together about getting to know ourselves and being comfortable in our own skin and setting intentions for the future, something that uh, keeps returning to our conversations is the subject of tarot and tarot cards and tarot readings. Um, I don't really know much about tarot. I had my tarot read once by a roommate several years ago. I remember she had these very beautiful old cards that had been passed down from her grandmother, and I found it to be a really grounding experience. It sort of took the internal chaos of my consciousness and organized it into a narrative, almost like a storyboard, I guess. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about this today. We'll have some special guests joining us in studio to talk a bit more. But in the meantime, uh, Sabrina, when we were talking last week, I really loved when you mentioned that you liked how tarot was a way you could get to know yourself better. So I'm wondering if maybe you could expand on that and tell us a bit more about how you got interested in tarot. Yeah, I think um, tarot has a lot of strong ties with divination and there's a lot of people who use it to divine. And um, that basically just kind of means like to tell the future or predict it or um, look into it. Um, but for me, I think the cards work really well to help reflect how you may feel about a situation or even to act kind of like as a impartial third party um, to kind of check a situation against. Um, and for me, when I started getting to tarot, it was because I wanted to start on a journey of getting to know myself better um, and finding out, you know, who I am and why I do the things I do. And maybe in ways that I don't like myself or I feel like I hold myself back, how do I change those things or how do I come to accept those things? And that's kind of how I use tarot. I use it to um, help me make decisions and not in a way where I let the cards tell me what to do because um, I think that can remove a person's agency, but very much in a way where 
I think about what I think I want or how I think I see a situation. And then I'll ask the cards and I'll lay them out. And they have their own meetings. Yes, you can interpret them and interpretations change deck by deck. And so it is like talking to someone else because you might have, even though your own interpretation goes into it, like you might have a completely different idea of something you might think that a situation is bringing about weakness or like you know it's just the worst thing in the world and you can't say anything better coming out of the situation why is this happening to me and then you draw a card on strength and you might draw another card and those two together means you know strength and change and that might be the tarot saying you know there's strength and change in this situation. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, you'll necessarily grow stronger or, you know, things will necessarily change for the better. But that's a perspective that you might want to consider. And it's perspective that if you're too close to something, you might not see yourself. And then instead of thinking, this is the worst thing in the world. Why is this so terrible? Why is this happening to me? You can think, okay, well, how can I contextualize this situation based on strength and change? Can I find anything good out of this? Can I find a way to grow out of this? And then from there, you can think, you know, well, how do I feel about this new interpretation about the situation? And as you ask yourself these questions on the backdrop of, you know, these tarot cards, um, you can come to a new realization, new way to view a situation or a new way to learn about yourself and how you deal with hardship. And that's specifically, that's not the only way to use tarot. I'm not, I, I don't think there's any good or bad ways necessarily, but I think that's how I approach it. Kind of like therapy. Yeah. I think for me, like, I don't know, I'm pretty new to tarot. Um, I think a lot of people are just getting into it right now as well. A few of my friends did. And then I was sort of like, oh, this seems really interesting. Um, but for me, I think it's like, I don't know, an avenue for like self-reflection. And a, sort of it provides space to be alone with yourself and like, especially with things that you might not be comfortable with. And like, yeah, like Sabrina was saying, different ways to interpret events or situations or feelings, emotions anything in your life that's going on and it's sort of a very like easy way to do that so yeah that's sort of what I've been enjoying about it and it's also just fun I, I like sort of I don't know memorizing so it's fun to like uh look at the cards and like be like oh I actually like remember what this means like I don't know and I really like reading other people's uh tarot as well I think it's really fun and like opens up conversations that you might not have with people I like I'm super super close with my roommate and I read her cards and um I don't know, learned new things. So yeah, it was cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I loved what Sabrina was saying about sort of contextualizing certain situations and, and with what you were saying about um, it's a way to spend time with yourself because I think that's really important. But sometimes being alone with ourselves and with our thoughts doesn't always feel like a safe space. So um, yeah, to have sort of a gentle ritual around creating that space to be alone with yourself, I think is really important. So thank you both for sharing that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have a few special guests joining us in the studio on this Saturday winter solstice morning. You are tuned in to CIUT 89.5 on the FM dial and you're listening to the West Meeting Room. We'll be back in a moment.
Welcome back to the West Meeting Room. We're broadcasting on CIUT 89.5 FM, The Sound of Your City. We have a few <laughs> special guests joining us in the studio today. Would you mind introducing yourselves and uh, tell us a bit about yourselves? Hi, my name is Katie. Uh, I'm currently a student at York University. I'm studying disaster and emergency management in my master's. Uh, I'm just finishing up. I'm actually just on the research writing portion of things now after I handed my last assignments for the semester. Uh, and then as far as my experience with magic, I've been kind of on and off practicing Wiccan, pagan, but more of like a new agey agnostic mix of those things um, on and off since I was like around eight years old, probably very on as a kid and then very off for a while and then back into it in high school, back off and then back into it a lot recently. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Jay, um, and I'm a recent graduate of the theater department here at U of T, if we're doing U of T related introductions. And I'm just taking some time off right now. I'm chilling. I'm focusing on my magic, my spirituality, and uh, reading tarot and doing fortunes and spells and stuff for uh, clients who come to me. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. So maybe a good place to start. I, I'm curious to know how each of you would define uh, tarot for those of us who aren't uh, familiar. Um, and I don't know, it did, did if you brought cards today, we would love to for you to describe a bit about them and, and uh, <laughs> tell us what they look like for our listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I actually brought the Wild Unknown deck today. So, so Synchronicities. Yes. yes. Youngian Synchronicities. Mm -hmm. Um. Should I bring it? Should I take it out from my bag? Is that yeah. what we're yeah, doing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Should I, should I take my deck out? Yeah. 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 Would it. you? You said you have the wild unknown. I have the wild unknown at home. Yeah. Maybe I didn't. I didn't think <laughs> to actually. I, I I was literally thinking. I was like, should I bring show and tell stuff? I was like, what would I bring? Would I bring the books? Would I bring the decks? Like, do I bring both? Do I bring everything that I have when I? <laughs> read like it just became too complicated and I was like gonna have a bag that was like basically my whole altar my both of my decks like both of my books my grimoire like the whole nine yards I was like okay this is too much uh, but I have two decks so I have kind of a light deck and a dark deck and I have the line strider deck which is like a lot of it's a lot of whites and watercolors and uh line drawings and then I have the wild unknown deck which is kind of like my dark deck which is very nature um lots of black ink it's definitely when you have the two together one is very clearly like bright and light and I find that the interpretations are that way for that one and the other one is definitely a little darker um and I like having the balance uh and then one of them I bought myself and one of them was a gift uh, which is a fun distinction because I found out after having bought my first deck that traditionally, I guess, like a, a deck is supposed to be gifted to you. It's part of uh, the divination, the luck, that side of things, I guess. Um, but I heard that long after I had gotten my first deck. So, yeah. Jay, you? I feel like I might have asked you about that once. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I was like, <laughs> am I going to have, like, is this like breaking a mirror? Are the spirits going to, like... <laughs> like smite me because I right? bought a deck on yeah. chapters for you know <laughs> I don't know who started that story it's mm -hmm. I don't follow it no I don't think okay it's true yeah um I feel like it's 
because during the 50s and the 60s and the occult revival, right, Mm -hmm. it was all about sort of romanticism and kind of pseudo-mysticism. And so everybody was coming up with their own special rules about things. And this somehow sort of really became popularized Mm -hmm. because I feel like it does really play into the kind of ancestral sharing legacy, you know, kind of idea. Um, But yeah, I don't personally follow it. But you can do whatever you want to do, you know, like follow your truth, follow your bliss. Yeah, Yeah. that's kind of what I find really interesting about like magic and this whole practice in general is that it is kind of a make your own rules, Mm -hmm. which I think is Mm -hmm. why I read somewhere that it's become really, really popularized among young people. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. the most popular spirituality, religion, whichever you think of it as in your brain I guess it's become much more popular with young people like and young people of all races too which is really interesting and they're going back to different forms of magic so like for someone like for me with white ancestry for me that's uh going back to paganism and like old European traditions but that might be different for everybody and there's different there's so many different backstories of it and it all comes together in this like modern understanding of magic which I think we all kind of like take and borrow from is interesting i do have a question based on like segueing off your points but i did want to get to jay talking about your decks so do you want to ask jay i just saw you um blowing into your card what does that mean what does that do oh it's just it's something i do to sort of clear it or cleanse it yeah i guess like on that i'm curious what you both do to like prepare to read tarot like Mm. what's your sort of ritual around that how do you get ready Mm. um so i tarot and journal kind of at the same time I always do it as a writing practice rather than as like a thoughts alone practice um so I get out whatever book I'm using at the time sometimes that's like a a more traditional journal sometimes it's just like scratched in my notebook like my bullet journal that I carry um so I would pull that out uh, and then pull my deck out uh and depending on how I'm feeling I might completely reorder my deck if I'm feeling particularly discombobulated and like out of sorts I might completely reorganize it just so that it's kind of attuned to me right now. Uh, And then you blew on yours. I always knock mine three times on both sides before I uh, shuffle. And then I just kind of shuffle until my heart's content, until I feel like it's ready. Uh, And then split it either in half or in threes, depending on how I'm feeling, and then draw from the top side. And with every reading I do, I always look at what's on the bottom side, just as like a little, like, what's there? You know, after I've done all this from the top, like what was the bottom that was split from the top? Where did the deck split? Does that card have something to tell me? Yeah. How about you? Um, well, I, and Sabrina knows this, I'm more spirit-based in my practice. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I'm usually talking to someone or something or an energy or an entity. And so I would usually say a prayer to them. And sort of set the space and set their energy. Um, if I'm just doing reading for myself, I'll usually sort of say a little prayer to my own inner self and spirit as well. Because um, I feel like many of us are also sort of spirit beings having a human experience kind of thing. Um, and we have divinity within us. And then I'll light some incense. I'll light some candles, you know. If I'm working with, because I do work with cannabis, both recreationally and also spiritually. And so if I'm calling in cannabis uh, that day, I'll say a little prayer to a joint or my pipe, and then I'll take a puff. And then I'll just start reading. And I'm finding more for me that tarot, um, and this was something uh, another 
another friend, another witch. I'm gonna can I name drop people and recommend their Instagram is uh, Seed and CRC, and they're a they're a black person of color uh, doula. Um, and who also really brings spirituality into their work. And so we were having tea one day, very witchy. We were having witchy <laughs> high tea. And we were sort of just talking and letting sort of spirits speak through us. And she really gave me the message that like to begin reading with playing cards and to begin reading, yeah, like using tarot as a jumping point Mm -hmm. for spirit directly talking to me and so I'm finding especially as I work with cannabis more and I work sort of with the cards in this kind of seance space setting more that's really interesting that brings up two things that I've been thinking a lot about lately which is like uh kind of investigating things that come from your past and how they affect you in the future um but then also uh yeah setting boundaries and when you're when you're being intentional and setting intentions and all of that, that's something that almost all of my magic is. Because for me, it's all very personal, very spiritual based. To see the story as it is and the images reflected in the cards, which is Mm -hmm. what's so beautiful about tarot and the way tarot has expanded as a divination tool. Because back in the good old days, right, when tarot was super expensive and you had to be like a rich, you know, like... I don't know, a duke or something to get like this famous artist from Italy to design a deck for your family and you put it in a glass case and no one ever touches it. You know, like it had a much more different energy. People read with playing cards, right? And that was a lot more challenging because mm-hmm. you didn't have the stories depicted right away in this kind of visual-based story mm-hmm. on the cards. It was just these geometric symbols of hearts, mm-hmm. you know, diamonds, so can we talk a bit about that? Like I see some of you have your decks out in front. I first of all, like like what is a tarot deck? And then maybe like what's distinct about the the deck that you have in front of you? And can we also talk about the different kinds? Because I mm-hmm. didn't know that this deck was a Marseille deck, I think. Because <laughs> I know, really you know, major, question. minor, arcana. <laughs> okay, so beyond that from what i know right Mm -hmm. um and different people trace it right some people like back in the egyptology days you know when like white people really were like into egypt um everything was traced back to egypt right as the source of wisdom as the source of western culture and that is true in a lot of ways right and so tarot was traced back to then and to sort of the uh hieroglyphics and the papyri depictions right um but more historically, people tend to trace it back to uh, the Silk Road and to China, because uh, China had a similar game with similar symbols um, that was played in a different way with sort of pieces of papyri or pieces of like cloth or cards, right? You know, that was really where playing cards came from. And tarot originated from playing cards and originated as a playing card game that rich royal folks, like people with status who could afford an artist to design decks Mm -hmm. for their families, right, who could afford to print things, uh, would play. And it was a very sort of courtly kind of pastime. Um, And then over time, um, it was sort of like, and then playing cards were always in use by just the populace, right, because it was much more affordable from my understanding. And you can make your own, and it was just pieces of symbols right on a card page and so it was sort of like these two things just kind of wove back and forth in and out of each other and gradually uh you know as people read with uh playing cards through divination um people began reading with tarot for divination as well and then during the sort of occult renaissance of the 1800s the 1900s when like people were really getting back into 
kind of esoteric, like this, it was sort of this kind of intellectual rebellion against religious institutions, right? Um, Tarot really sort of took on a lot more symbolism with occult orders like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, And it still very much remained an upper class kind of thing, right? Um, In a lot of ways, especially with sort of the added meanings that were added to it. Um, Because these occult orders were generally for sort of literate, educated, middle, middle, upper class. Like, what what do you mean by occult order? So like societies, like secret societies, right? Mm -hmm. Like, which aren't that secret because, you know, it's just secret because of, you know, sensationalism, all of that. Right. Um, But like occult societies, right, have always been a thing. Right. And this is the thing, right? Like, you know, it's sort of like. Again, it's very exciting, especially as you're Mm -hmm. just getting into it. It's really like, it's like a labyrinth. It's like a maze. The deeper you Mm go, the more ancient histories and recipes and spells and traditions you can find. And you really trace sort of knowledge systems, right? And so there's always been these organizations and societies of magicians, occultists, right? Um, Who, you know, sometimes die down, sometimes just all they like leave behind is a manuscript or a set of writings, right? And then they get picked up again by another generation and people get together and practice right and you know the tarot was very much something that was absorbed into this this kind of this tradition and period of magic right um but like these occult orders really added sort of this is where you get sort of the kabbalah coming in in relation to tarot right and both the hermetic and jewish traditions of kabbalah right uh this is where you get sort of uh sufism coming in islamic mysticism right blending and you know in uh arabic countries they also have their own sort of style of tarot almost right a different style of deck that kind of get distilled again into the modern books that we have right where you get sort of glimpses of these older mm-hmm. associations right that like uh the empress card is associated with this sort of sphere or dimension on the tree of life right which is sort of one way of laying out the mystic route to return to god uh from uh either a jewish perspective or a hermetic perspective yeah um could you tell me about the the particular deck you have in front of you oh yes yes um so this is the wild unknown and it definitely connects more with uh the mars uh the rider weight style and so yes marsai and rider weight i didn't even get to that is it such a (laughs) winding history yeah, it's um, just the two or are there three lines well there's there? many kinds right okay. that's the card like i know the rider weight and the marseille mm-hmm. like it's most familiar to me the rider weight was really uh uh arthur edward weight i believe was his name uh commissioned uh pixie coleman smith who was uh a woman of color who was uh, mixed race, who had Black ancestry, as well as Indigenous ancestry, I believe. And uh, she designed this deck for uh, Arthur Edward Waite. Wasn't credited for a really long time because she was a woman of color, right? But she she really gave rise to this style of cards where uh, there's pictures on the minor arcana. So tarot is divided into, right, the major and the minor. And the major is really sort of... Uh, the specialness of tarot, what makes tarot unique, because uh, the minor is essentially equivalent to a playing card deck, right? Rather than um, rather than hearts, diamonds, spades, and clubs, you have pentacles, chalices, wands, and uh, swords, right? Or athames or knives, right? Which is very occult 
secret society, 1980, like uh, early 1900s, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. That's very much their flavor, right? Uh, this weird mix of sort of like Christian mysticism with Jewish mysticism with Egyptology and like, yeah. Um, and so that's where you really get that style of deck, which the wild unknown also inherits in a lot of ways. But also not so in a lot of ways, because the Wild Unknown also really reminds me of the Marseille style, which is the much older tradition of tarot, right? Where the minor arcana is still geometric shapes, but it's done sort of in the more traditional tarot symbolism of wands, knives, pentacles, and chalices, right? I'll have to look into getting myself a Marseille deck because one of the things that really drew me into magic when I was a kid was all of the symbolism in geometry, Uh, and sacred geometry Mm -hmm, that was something mm -hmm, I got like mm -hmm. really 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 into as a kid I like I said I only got into tarot pretty recently it's kind of my it's probably my newest uh my newest magical endeavor I guess um and yeah I kind of learned to read while I was living in Japan from these Mm -hmm. two women who uh, they would go to a coffee shop at the same time every week and sit down and read, put out decks for themselves over tea and coffee and oh. sweets and uh, read their own readings, read each other's readings, uh, maybe do another one if it so-called. Uh, and so they brought a lot of us actually into it because we were all in kind of similar emotional states and we all lived in the same apartment building. It was very like, it was probably the closest to a coven I've ever had. So I wonder cool. with that idea of like community and friendship, mm-hmm. you know, um, what is unique about the tarot community? What's unique about the magic community? And further than that, yeah, how do you find community? It's like a and million dollar question. At your really level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My first foray into magic, my uh, I kind of got to know more about it because my friend's mom was Wiccan and she was actually a therapist who used tarot um, and like the Jungian associations uh, in her therapy practices um and was like the lady in the neighborhood who threw the solstice parties every year with like six foot bonfires at the appropriate (laughs) times and food at the appropriate times like it was it was a really magical little community so that was cool to grow up around um and I think even now like it's I've kind of lucked into another group as well like it I don't know that I've ever sought it out intentionally um so i it, it's really the million dollar question. Yeah. Like, how did we end up in these spaces where we have community, whereas other people don't have community around magic? I think maybe now because it's I feel like the newest resurgence of magic because mm. we're totally in one right now. Like mm-hmm. every other meme is an astrology meme. <laughs> and yeah. like more and more people are getting into tarot. More and more people yeah. are starting to keep shadow books or grimoires yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now that we're kind of coming into another one, there's. I think there's some people who are uh, there's some people who are into it because they've been into it for a while. And there's a lot of people who are coming into it new coming Mm -hmm. into the fold right now. And I wonder if maybe the people who are coming into the fold uh, because we're in an era of capitalism and it's very like some of it's very commodified. Right. So you're maybe not getting your first deck from someone gifting it to you. You're getting your first deck on Amazon like I did, Uh, which I mean, and so maybe which there's is fine. that, which is it's totally fine. Yeah, like it's yeah. It also like there's so much beauty to how much it's proliferated because now there's right. a million decks with so much more symbolism yeah. and yeah. so much more crossover. But I also worry that it's 
some of it's being like distanced from spirituality in some ways. And I wonder if that's distancing it from community as well. With social media and Instagram, like because it seems to be a very visual medium Mm -hmm. and then and then that's sort of bit my main like exposure to it with is has been on instagram and and following other people who who are i guess are artists for certain decks Mm -hmm. and it has it's been exciting Mm -hmm. to see other decks with more representation with more um maybe exploration of non-binary characters Mm -hmm. in their Mm -hmm. artwork i wonder maybe do you have any um any name dropping you want to do for um are there artists that are making decks currently that we might not have seen in the mainstream sort of distribution of tarot decks? Uh, speaking to that, I really, um, the decks that stand out for me, uh, it's a deck that features all sort of uh, characters and personas of African descent, and it pulls from sort of West African mythology a lot, especially, as well as Congolese traditions, um, which is very rare because tarot is a very white sort of image. The images are often sort of these kind of like white thin people in occult poses like that's the very it's the very sort of a traditional representation right of folks in tarot yeah and so hers is really amazing um and i've really been also getting into tarot that doesn't feature people like the wild i know right and there's uh i know the artist is skull garden and they did different oracle decks and they also did a tarot deck and he it's just animals and he paints them on wood blocks and then photographs them or scans them. And then it's sort of like you're holding this thing that is a thin piece of cardboard, but the sort of texture that it looks like and the weight of it looks like you have a wood block and it's very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really cool. So there's there's actually a tarot deck that was made in Toronto. Um, so it's Careful Tarot and it's by a person named Isa. Uh, so they're a non-binary person of color who actually attends the U of T. Uh, so I'll just casually drop that one there because I, I met them at an equity event and then actually found out way after the fact that they had made a tarot deck and now like kind of like idolize them like a famous person a little bit. Um, but that was a really cool discovery. Mm. And the it's all collage. Uh, mm. And there's not a complete absence of people, but the people are not only white Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. so refreshing Mm -hmm. because it's just it that's something that's always bothered me about a lot of them and especially that it's uh usually like queen and king or even with this deck where it's mother and son and daughter and father it's still there's still like a very stark binary there it's Um, like a heteropatriarchal mm -hmm. kind of binary the thing Fluffy. for me about that is complicated, right? It is because very it's sort of understanding mm-hmm. the deeper occult associations behind what it means. Like it's very much that it's that era of tradition tapping into like the yin yang theories of like Chinese philosophy, yeah. right? Which is also still very gendered in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, right? Um, but yeah, like it's not. It's just not a straight up no for yes. me when it comes to yes. that because mm-hmm. I feel like. You know, like, it's important to transcend the binary, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, like, a lot of sort of older stories are still encoded in that. And sort of, like, how do we engage with that in a way that doesn't mm-hmm. just reject it? Mm-hmm. Because there's still wisdom there. But yeah. sort of, yeah, change it. Yeah, and I think with yin and yang, too, there's, for me at least, there's always been this understanding that there is both within you. Mm-hmm. And that everyone has masculine and feminine within them, depending on how much you identify with either or both. 
is up to interpretation by every single human being on this planet. But then, yeah, there's there's such background and such history that I agree you really can't yeah. reject. Get a, like it, it needs of, to be an, a process of evolution, yeah. I think. Well, I guess because it's sort of like when we talk about masculine and feminine, what are we really meaning, right? Like mm-hmm. I, for me, I feel How like gender even that. transcends the binary, right? Like it's sort of like, you know, for some people, it might not be anything related to male or female or anything in them, mm-hmm. right? Like their inner spirit might be more attuned to a tree. Like what's the gender? We gender trees, which is bizarre to me, by the way. Mm-hmm. We gender trees based on the shape of their flowers. Like, let's be real. Like whether it looks like a penis or like, you know, like. There's a bit of an obsession it's there. wild to me. <laughs> yeah. um, but right, like a tree, right? But it's sort of like we're talking about this polarity, right? And the mm-hmm. mystery of a polarity. And that is something that is very traditional, right? Mm-hmm. Which is sort of like life came about or the creation of the cosmos with the big bang of the cosmos came about from the collision of polarities, from the collision of light and dark, from the collision of sound and silence, right? Mm-hmm. From the collision of sort of color and lack thereof, you know? And sort of this clashing of things. And I feel like that's really where this is, the, the, the tarot is pointing to symbolically with that. Mm-hmm. But because... I don't know, because of hunter-gatherer society, because whatever, right? The way Mm -hmm. humans have chosen to develop this way, Mm -hmm. you know? And sort of essentially persecuted and murdered everybody else who doesn't agree with Mm -hmm. that vein of story, especially during the Victorian period onwards. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just sort of very solidified into sort of like, when you mean masculine, you're talking about projective energy. You're talking about fiery, hot energy. You're talking about energy that goes like this, right? And when you're... I'm like thrusting my fingers out. And when you are talking about, you know, feminine energy, you're talking about things that receive, things that pull, right? And it's sort of, it's really gross in a lot of ways that it's gendered into human bodies, right? That because you have a vagina, you are a feminine energy because you have, right? But Mm -hmm. it's sort of like there is a story there of like the deeper thing. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? The deeper thing that it's trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this actually touches a lot of what you're talking on really draws on kind of like how I've defined magic for my own personal uses. So for me, I always thought of magic as this thing where, I mean, from the dawn of time, we have trying, we have been trying to assign meaning to things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think at the beginning we could call it magic because we understood so little of it. And so everything felt magical. And then scientific method came along and we really pinpointed some truths and we definitively figured things out. Yay. Big air punches it's right done. there. Right? It's done. done now. Like, we know. We know it all. Right? And I think a lot of people with the things we know, in air quotes, because of fear, have adhered themselves to those things as, like, unchanging, yes. mm-hmm. unflinching realities that we must cling to. We must never define them any other way because this is how I understand things and this is how I'm comfortable. Right? And... For me, magic has always been about that thing beyond what we know. And so for me, it's a space to interpret those things in new ways and to find new ways to understand things. And maybe that'll lead to new truths or maybe it'll lead to more gray and more uncertainty. But either way, I think that's exciting. 
Yeah. It's interesting, like you talking about the rigid kind of feeling, especially in modern scientific thinking, which is so mm-hmm. interesting because so many of the like OG scientists were also cultists. They were yeah. alchemists. They were like, they were like doing astrology while they were doing astronomy. Exactly, and they right? were like trying to find, you know, the uh, ph- mm-hmm. philosopher's stone, which is still a thing people are practicing just under yeah. safer lab conditions. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. Like finding the, philo- like all of that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, I feel like, yeah, it's it's interesting to look at sort of where binary thinking like began popping up in different areas in human history. Right. Like it was very prominent uh, in a specific way in sort of like Germanic tribes right Mm -hmm. and viking based societies it was prominent during the sort of the confucian era in chinese Mm -hmm. history and sort of and and the links of colonialism with that and sort of who are the priests and priestesses who get wiped out what are their temples like right Mm -hmm. why did uh ashira's temple fall out of fall out of favor in history right when you know it's documented that a lot of her priests were cross-dressers a lot of her priests were eunuchs a lot of her priests right played um, in very sacrificial ways mm-hmm. right speaking mm-hmm. like being a eunuch right like voluntarily as part of a ritual right dedication to the to the mother of love right mm-hmm. and the mother of the red veil right and how sort of over time yeah that temple like we don't worship ashira today mm-hmm. now we don't worship you know inanna ishtar like the mesopotamian semitic goddess of love life sex right death right mm-hmm. um yeah and it's interesting sort of how things fall out of favor and different voices rise up that mm-hmm. have more of sort of a colonial force to it and what that erases and what mm-hmm. that silences and what that dominates mm-hmm. and then the effects on magic as a result of that Right? Mm-hmm. These kind of rigid yin yang binaries, right? It's all tied up together. Yeah, so and it's all cyclical, right? Yeah. It's all coming back and flowing. And that's kind of, I'm always trying to get a hold on the energy somehow because mm-hmm. otherwise mm-hmm. you just feel very wibbly wobbly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's, for me, tapping into this more is about trying to find some stability for myself in the change of it all and in the flux of it all. Well, speaking of that, right, I feel like that connects back to what we were talking about with community is, you know, in my experience, like, it's great that it's becoming popular and big, right? Mm -hmm. But there's always going to be a veil there, you know, between sort of what some might call, not to sound like pseudo-archaic, but like what someone, what some might call the deeper mysteries, right? The Mm -hmm. ones you have to pay a price for. The the seven veils. Yeah, right? Like the ones you have to sort of sacrifice to, right? Mm -hmm. That you can't just sort of go to Barnes and Nobles and buy a book and buy a crystal and Mm -hmm. buy a little sage bundle and a witch kit from Sephora and like call it a day, you know? Oh my God, you're calling me out! (laughs) No, witch is beautiful, right? But that's Mm -hmm. the key, right? But Mm -hmm. you have to find the door and put the key in the door. And I feel like what a lot of people are doing is, and that's fine. It's the first fail. Right, if that's Mm -hmm. their aesthetic, like if that's where they're drawing strength from, I don't feel Mm -hmm. like we should police who should call themselves a witch, yeah. I feel like the term will police itself because if you're meant to go deeper, the moment you start calling yourself that... It'll start coming. Yeah, it'll start coming because you are you are, you are are recognizing and fulfilling a spiritual agreement that you made on the other yep. side to come back as this thing, right? Yep. Because it's also important to recognize the term witch. Inherently, I was talking with another witchy sister who very much 
goes deep with the term witch as well. Mm -hmm. It has an inherent otherness and isolation to it, right? Like the witch, even in pagan times, even in pre-Christian, pre-persecution times, Mm -hmm. right? Witches were controversial in Greek tradition were controversial you know like the only place where magicians were really celebrated was in like ancient Egypt and that sort of Mesopotamia area Mm -hmm. right it was always you know and like Persian traditions before Mm -hmm. you know before sort of the conquest of Christianity and Islam right like that's where magic was really celebrated Mm -hmm. but it was always seen as foreign even by other pagan nations Right. Mm -hmm. The term Magi itself is a foreign term that comes from Persian languages. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the identity of the word witch in the traditional sense before the reclamation that we have now. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it just means sort of a femme, you know, healer who draws power from mysteries of the earth. Right. Like it has a much older, more complicated meaning, which is this otherworldly being walking in human skin, this otherworldly being coming in the form of a human, Mm -hmm. right, who will do the things that the priests won't do in the name of their gods, who will do the choices and follow the old, old ways, right, Mm -hmm. the ways that came even before humans formed civilizations, right, the religions of the people before, and this is where we get into fairies, right, and the traditional meaning of fairies, Mm -hmm. right, otherworldly predecessors, halfway between angels and man, Right. Or divinity, Mm -hmm. a man who are these sort of figures that hold magic. Right. And that's what a witch also means is you come as a human, Mm -hmm. but you have an older thing living inside of you. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is scary to the establishment. That is scary Mm -hmm. to normalcy. Right. That has been victimized even in pagan times. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like with that, to get there, to find that piece of you to own that and honor that, it's a quest. And it's a quest that you won't be able to just do in a coven, mm-hmm. you know, that it will ensure a kind of loneliness that is a part of that initiation. And it's about how you come back from that loneliness and how you find yourself amidst a sea of silence. Mm-hmm. And with that new voice, you call to your people. I'm getting quite poetic now. Yes, but with that beautiful. new voice, you call to your people and then the true coven comes to you. And then the true covenant, the true society Right. And you might find that the society isn't human. Right. You might find that, you know, the loneliness is actually comforting because you talk to those who aren't walking in human skin right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's there's a whole thing with that. And so it's an interesting question that a lot of sort of practitioners who are just starting, they hold on to because humans are very communal creatures. Right. And that's mm-hmm. important to honor, too, on your journey, especially if you're going to become a witch in a more otherworldly, scarier, mm-hmm. more traditional sense. You may where want it, to be drawn right, back. Yeah. Where it tests you and tries you. You also have a human inside of you. You are also yeah. human. Yeah. Right. And so how do you honor both? Yeah. But there is going to be and the spirit. Yeah, there is going to be something that pulls you into the wilds, into the dark woods where you will have to meet right? We can call him the horned god. We can call him the devil. We can call him the great accuser, right? That dark shadow or dark mirror that you will have to meet. And through stepping through that, the last veil you become, right? And it's it's a quest. And it's a quest that doesn't just sort of, you don't, you know, because a lot of sort of older witches who are poo-pooing, right, the loudest, these new beginners, they also mm-hmm. come through this very rigid occult society system where it's you get the initiations, you get the degrees. It's like graduation mm-hmm. and postgraduate studies. And it's like when you go deeper, you know, like according to the old, old witches, none of y'all are witches right now. Yeah. You're just starting. All of mm-hmm. you are just starting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, yeah. 
there's always layers to that term is another yeah. side of that. We've got like 10 minutes left. Oh, <laughs> and no. I, I, do, like, I do have a question. I've been trying okay. to like jump in here mm-hmm. um, because I love the poeticism. I love the theory and the abstract, mm-hmm. but especially for people who are just starting out, I want to yes. come back to more like practical, more seemingly tangible. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel think, like I'm still there too, though, right? Well, like I'm, I'm only at here. the beginning of my yeah. journey still, for sure. Because yeah, <laughs> this idea of community, and I, I did want to touch on, you know, practically, you know, diversity, especially not just in the community, but, you know, in terms of even capitalist systems, like mm-hmm. who's making the most money in magic and tarot? Like who's being represented <laughs> on, well. you know, the the things that we use? Like who is the mm-hmm. image of a witch? Like when you think of it, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that idea of who's being represented and who isn't, how do mm-hmm. we fix that? Um, this is going to be a really big topic to attack in like the next couple of minutes, but I also mm-hmm. wanted to touch on appropriation mm-hmm. um, and melt that into that idea of capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, you know, magic, and tarot and coming home and you know like subverting a system that everyone's tired of but capitalism can also hide truths and Mm -hmm. i think that's a question that i want to ask about as well um and things like appropriation coming into capitalism where it's like something like sage where people are going to sell it if people are going to buy it but there's so (laughs) much history in that Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. and how do you find that history yes that's that's Mm -hmm. it so appropriation capitalism diversity community uh, fact checking and holding mm-hmm. people accountable, but also not trying to gatekeep the whole thing. Mm-hmm, quick mm-hmm. and easy. Question. Quick and easy. Touch on all of it right now. Okay. I actually a lot of what you just spoke to you touched on things that I've been going through recently with kind of this new coming into things. Like I have definitely felt called, and it's become this thing where I don't fully know what I'm getting myself into. And so I'm trying to do the best research I can and trying to get into it in a way where I'm not appropriating because that's something that's very, very important to me, especially given my history, how that's attached to colonialism and the land that I live on today, right? Um, and But is that to say, for example, that someone who presents themselves – the way that you present yourself mm-hmm. or it can be seen like does that mean that you can never practice in a way that say someone of another you know like how do you like if you're just like mm-hmm. I really like this connects with me right mm-hmm. how do you mm-hmm. build that rapport so that it's appropriate mm-hmm. for you then mm-hmm. it's not just you reading on like cosmopolitan mm-hmm. and it's like okay it's time yeah. well that's the thing right it's like you shouldn't just be reading on cosmopolitan and doing it like that's mm-hmm. not it's I feel like like appropriation is this tricky conversation because people don't go deep enough with it. They we I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes sort of mainstream kind of like clickbait discourse forgets sort of that appropriation is a symptom. Like it's it's a symptom of sort of the breaking of treaties, the breaking mm-hmm. of right relationship, the breaking where people don't want to share with you. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, like that it's sort of like there's a healing that can be done. Right. And not appropriating is the first step in that. But then Mm -hmm. it's also there's another step, which is reconciliation, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's not just, oh, I'm white. So I will stay away from sage and I'll stay away from Mm -hmm. indigenous folks and I'll stay away from this culture that I'm not supposed to touch and Mm -hmm. then stop there. Mm -hmm. No, you should be approaching it as a settler. You should be approaching it as someone. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is all myself included. Right. As Mm -hmm. a settler. Right. As much as you're able to. Right. Mm -hmm. To bridge that conversation and, you know, honoring also your capabilities in sort of just going into spaces that you aren't familiar with. Right. Mm -hmm. That's important to honor as an Mm -hmm. individual. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, 
you know, if you want to use sage, who gave you this medicine? Like, why? Who who told you this teaching? Where mm-hmm. did you get it from? And if you didn't get it from someone from within the community, maybe you should go and get it from someone within the community first mm-hmm. and do all the reparationary cancellation work that leads to that. Mm-hmm. Should there be a commitment to, you know, honor cultures and mm-hmm. history? And we were talking about binary and like we're new age. We're talking about, you know, subverting these binaries. But then there's also a lot of history and knowledge that comes. So understanding that. But then also just like, respecting the earth and respecting the mother and Mm. where spirit comes from her as well in where you source your materials and also how you get rid of your materials. Mm -hmm. I wanted to throw that in there as well. Is there a place for that? Yeah, I think there's definitely one of the things for me, yeah, has been going back and investigating as much as I can and figuring out where things that I know and I'm familiar with line up with teachings, where I can better inform myself how I can go about doing that all of that is something that I'm continually trying to do and continually trying to go back to um and I think too like there's maybe it's maybe sage smudging is not something that you are comfortable with for because you feel appropriative with it because you don't know what spirits you're calling on and asking because you're not getting it in the right way but maybe there's something that you can do that's different maybe it's not using a singing bowl but it's using bells if you know these crystals that you're getting at a at an occult shop are being dug out of the ground by a slave laborer or by child laborers or whatever it may be like i think you i think at the end of the day you need to be doing so much more research and investigation onto the backside of things before you jump into it like we said like don't just buy a cosmopolitan and like jump into the first thing and like start pinteresting spells that you're using dollar store candles for that you're then burying in the ground. Like, be a little more intentional. I think it's important for me to clarify with mm-hmm. what I was talking about with reconciliation that it's not like go find indigenous people to use sage. Like, it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, you're probably not going to get that medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Because actually, it's not your medicine. So you just shouldn't be using yeah. sage. And white sage you know? is an endangered species. Right? Also. Like, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like, why? Because all cultures have the practice of burning things to clean things. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty cross cultural thing. Why do you have to use white sage? You yeah. know, like if you're pulling, like like for instance, in our tradition, we burn sandalwood, right, as mm-hmm. Chinese traditions, right, or we burn mahuang or mugwort. Like I wanted to clarify with that because I realized in my head it sounded like it sounded like one thing. Go yeah, make like, your indigenous friends. And yeah, then, like, join and, and, yeah, and join them. And... Like no, like you. What reconciliation is? The first step is asking mm-hmm. and then accepting that the answer might be no, and it mm-hmm. might always be no. Mm-hmm. Like that's it's because you're actually just asking for forgiveness. You're yeah, you're, not you're, necessarily you're reaching out, you're mm-hmm. rebuilding bridges and the other group just might not want to, you know, mm-hmm. and that's OK, too. Right. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to accept that as someone who. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was important for me to clarify. And yeah. in terms of sort of mining and stuff. It's also about access, right? Like honoring what you're saying, but mm-hmm. it's also like shit's expensive. If yeah. all you can have is a dollar store tea light and that's what you're doing your spells with, mm-hmm. you know, like you burying a candle stub in the ground. Like I, I, I understand the importance of being personally accountable in your relationship with Mother Nature, but also recognizing that we're, our world is the state way it is right now mm-hmm. because of large corporations. So like, yes, go vegan if you can. Yes, like limit your meat intake. Yes, don't litter. And there's alternatives, right? Buy a mm-hmm. potted plant instead. You yeah. like bury it in your own garden if you don't want to give Mama, Mama Gaia, you know, petroleum jelly. It seems like uh, a, a value that... 
often gets lost in capitalist society is humility. And it mm-hmm. seems like what you're touching on here, maybe maybe just like as an initial place of access as someone new to this, mm-hmm. humility should be kind of the bedrock. It should be the place from which you enter mm-hmm. into this is, is being humble. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way of encapsulating it because you are coming new into something that is so old and there is so many histories from so many different parts of the world and you can find your personal connections with parts of those history. Maybe it's about investigating beyond the newest trend of sage or whichever is the most popular and interrogating what did the people I have connections with burn to clear this space. Mm-hmm. Did they did they burn something? Did they maybe use sound instead? Did they use bells? Did they mm-hmm. use singing bowls? Did they use what did they do? And using it as a way to understand your space within history and understand how you're connected to things and then begin to make any repentance remittance that you require. Yeah. In the space where you're benefiting, where you're giving and taking and being really aware of how you fit in as an individual into the broader fabric of all of the energy of all time Mm -hmm. and especially of the energies in the space you're present in right now. Like I personally find for me and you touched to it as well, thanking the spirits, thanking the place where you are, thanking the people around you, thanking the spirits around you, thanking the ancestors, thanking them for allowing me a space where I can continue to try and do my best and where I can continue to try and in what little ways I can undo what is being done. And it's very much balance and humility. And it's like the other thing, it's sort of, you know, again, it's important to recognize, like, are you here because you just want to practice some spells, which is fine. If you just want to dip in, I -hmm. think that's okay too, right? Like, I don't think we need to be too precious about this thing that, you know, it's also sort of what we've come to call witchcraft, right? Everything's witchcraft these days, you know, where it's like back in the day, Everybody did spells. Everybody did. They had a little mm-hmm. rhyme. They had a little chant. They, you know, they would mm-hmm. plant lavender by their front door for mm-hmm. good fortune, practical magic. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, they'd like sprinkle salt in places. Right. Like there are, you know, every community had, you know, the one person who would take away the curses or take away the evil eye. But not everyone was that person. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's also like, what do you what do you mean when you say which and what are you getting out of it? Because if you mean it in that older sense, right? Like these answers will become clear because you'll be pulled to where you need to, right? And if you don't want to be that, you know, the one thing I would give for beginners is make clear your intentions, mm-hmm. right? Of what you're ready for, you know? Yeah. Um, and with sort of like understanding your place here, yeah, it's complicated. It's like, you know, you have to understand the histories that you're coming from and the histories that you've inherited. You also have to live your life. And so it's finding the balance Mm -hmm. of that, right? Because I feel like, you know, especially as someone who's a sensitive and, you know, a lot of witches are sensitives, right? Or empaths or people who are just more easily affected by emotions and energies, just feel things more intensely. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important to also draw a boundary on sort of recognizing when is it ancestral responsibility that you play a part in and when is it sort of, you know, to not take on everything as a personal thing right because you know a lot of us you know especially as people who are more drawn to magic if that's who you are right you can also have very sort of 
martyrdom-based karmic cycles attached to you, right? Where you're used to being like, yes, I will give up all my magic to save the people, you know? Mm -hmm. I will pour my blood. Take me, take me, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like that's constructive in the healing process of community as a whole, mm -hmm. right? Because we, are, we need to heal together, mm -hmm. you know? Not someone dies again, mm -hmm. right? Like that Jesus narrative did what it needed to do, mm -hmm. but we don't need to keep repeating it in the same way. Yeah, and so it's that balance and it's sort of finding like why why do you want to do this? Why are you attracted to this? Right? It's not a nice thing to be a witch mm -hmm. back in the day. It's still not nice in a lot of places. Why mm -hmm. do you want to call yourself that? And especially if you go deeper with it. Yeah. Like are you yeah, are you in it because you are interested in the aesthetic and interested in having fun topical connections? Great then that's the veil you will stop at. But if you're not, investigate that more and look more into it and try and better mm -hmm. understand your fit. And I think too, like understand when you know and when you can trust your gut and understand when you need to ask questions mm -hmm. and when you mm -hmm. maybe don't know everything mm -hmm. and when you need to seek out. And if you feel like you need to seek out, keep seeking because if you seek, you will find. The last thing I would recommend is, you know, the traditional way to do it is to begin with ancestors because they are the ones who connect you to the other side because they are your barrier, right? You are literally your ancestors. This, without your ancestors, this wouldn't be here in the same way. And for better or for worse, that's the reality. And so working with your ancestors is also, you know, setting boundaries, is also clearing ancestral karma. Right. But those are all like I think that's the unfortunate thing when talking about sort of the way it's booming right now is a lot of fundamentals get lost in translation. And so people don't realize, OK, I'm experiencing problems in my magic. Why? Well, because traditionally you start with your foundations, which is the dead. Right. Um, do ancestors necessarily need to be biological? No. No. OK. They can be your community. Who like do you inherit? Whose stories do you hold with you as yeah, you Yeah, what is your community? Yeah. Exactly. And where do you fit? Where can you be found from our <gasps> listeners? I know, Jay, you do magic and read professionally. I have so. a business. I have a business now. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as themandrake333. Um, my profile picture is an all-seeing eye. So you'll recognize it. Yeah, okay. the Mandrake. And that's the name of the store, the Mandrake. The Mandrake mm -hmm. 333. Mm -hmm. All one word. Yes. You don't need to be found if you don't want to be found. <laughs> I, am, I am unfindable. <laughs> Everyone go to Jay. The readings are great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great, great place to end. Thank you so much, Jay and Katie, for sharing your time and wisdom today. I hope you'll come back. Uh, <laughs> we have this, there's so much yeah, we didn't get to. Have, <laughs> I think maybe this needs to be a regular segment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we have so much to unpack and keep unpacking, but um, thanks for starting this conversation with us. Um, I'm really grateful to be working on the show alongside my fellow producers, Sabrina and Ari and Mika and Saba, who are taking care of us in the soundboard today. Um, I also want to say thank you to Dave Millman, who worked really hard to bring this show to the airwaves. And most of all, a big thank you to you, our listeners. We'd really love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at HH Podcasting and on Instagram at Heart House Stories. We're here every Saturday at 7 a.m. on CIUT 89.5 FM. And we post all of our episodes under Heart House Stories on SoundCloud. Our intro music was composed by Dan Driscoll. 
I'm Brayden signing off with my uh, co-host today and our lovely guests. And I'm hoping that this winter solstice morning finds you somewhere safe and cozy. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week in the West Meeting Room. Thank you.